0: Welcome to Uncomfortable Is Okay, where we explore the science, the stories, and the strategies of getting out of your comfort zone, navigating challenge, and doing the hard things that make life worth living. I'm your host Chris Desmond. Uncomfortable Is Okay is brought to you by Health Mentors. Health Mentors is a performance well-being company that helps change makers dial in their health and improve their performance in the middle of a chaotic world. We offer one-on-one health mentoring services, as well as a range of workshops and workplace solutions, all the way up to supporting organizations with their well-being strategy. You can find out more at healthmentors.nz or get in contact with Chris at healthmentors.nz. Just a quick point to note before we start today. This episode was originally recorded back in 2020 as part of uh, the Leading Through Challenge show that I was running at the time. It never saw the light of day, just like last week's episode, but just like last week's episode, the concepts in here are still so valuable that I think they'll, they'll serve you really, really well today. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with myself and with Chase Hughes. Chase Hughes, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me today, mate. Thanks, Chris. Good to see you again. Yeah, very good to see you. And Chase, you're actually the first non-New Zealander that, or non-New Zealand citizen that we've had on the show. So I uh, feel, feel privileged thing. with that. Yeah,
1: what a privilege.
0: Chase, who are you in a nutshell? I did 20
1: years in the military and... Now I specialize in developing psychological programs for intelligence agencies, law firms, businesses, and I teach interrogation, behavior profiling, and I work as a a trial consultant here in the US.
0: Mm. That's that's quite a big nutshell, actually. (laughs) What are the things about leadership that really interest and excite you?
1: I think one of the things about leadership that you never really see mentioned in books is that what you're doing off camera when nobody else is looking really does play a big part and how you communicate to other people. And the best book I've ever read on leadership was actually a book by a guy named Caesar Milan. He's the mm-hmm. dog whisperer that we, we see on TV. And he wrote a book called How to Be the Pack Leader. And inside the book, he had a great quote And he said, humans are the only creatures on earth that will follow an unstable leader. And that really resonated with me. That will follow them, but the people who are stable, and I like how he used that word, the people who have a a high degree of composure are typically the ones that rise to the top.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's that's fascinating. That'll be a really interesting read as well, I'm sure. And probably one that, a lot, of, a lot of leaders haven't picked up and, and had a read of. When you're, when you're talking about the, the habits and behaviors that we're doing away from other people, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like what, what really can strengthen our leadership that we do in, in that space?
1: So we have a part of our brain. This little part right here in the center of our brain is called the mammalian brain. So if you, like, if you stick your fingers in your ears, that's exactly where you're pointing. But that thing has been reading body language and nonverbal communication for 100 million years, maybe 500. We don't know. But that's, this, this predates language. Long before language, we're, we're doing this stuff. And we're born with nonverbal communication. That's why we can smile and frown the moment we're born. We know that stuff. So there's part of our brain that reads it. And when we get a signal from someone else and we make a decision, I'm going to follow this person, I'm, I'm going to obey this person, it's a culmination of our brain reading thousands of signals and then making a choice. And we, it's not conscious. So when we have something going on in our lives, it comes through in our body language. It comes through no matter how hard we try to cover it up. And that's my specialty. I teach people to spot those things. But we do it automatically a lot of times. Like you've had a conversation before with somebody and everything seemed right on the surface. But afterwards, we've, we've all had that feeling like something didn't add up. I don't know what it was, but something didn't feel right. And that is this part of our brain, which can't speak English. It can't speak any languages, giving us a feeling of what it saw because it can't talk to us and tell us what it's seeing. So when we do something off camera and we're a different person while we're on camera, and by that I just mean we're in front of people or we're at home when no one's looking, that makes us experience something called cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance is that uncomfortable feeling like think of the last time you got really dressed up, went to a wedding, birthday party, went for a night out on the town, everything, you look great. But back at home, your bathroom counter is covered in crap. There's a pile of dishes. There's laundry left out somewhere. There's some part of our brain that's dedicated to reminding us, like, I left something undone. I've neglected something. I'm, I'm not the person that I'm portraying. And that comes through. And that's one of those situations where we we sending signals to other people that's making them say, eh, something doesn't add up or something's not right. And in that regard, the way that we live off camera does show up in our everyday lives. And it's not that everybody's a behavior profiler, it's just that they're seeing this unconsciously and they're making these decisions on an unconscious level. So just making your bed and having your stuff together, getting your finances in order, living in an organized place, having discipline off camera Means that you'll appear to be more of a leader while you're on camera or in front of people.
0: Mm. And is that because it reduces the cognitive dissonance in ourselves? So it allows us to kind of show up a little bit more naturally?
1: I think so. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but we can look back and we can see all those people that we trust and all the people that we follow, they do live that kind of life. And just think of the last time that you were walking through an airport, a crowded airport, you could scan around. And if I challenge you $100, find the most disciplined person within 50 meters from you, you'd be able to do it. There's something here that tells us, you know, I know that person has a tremendous amount of discipline. They lead the same life on camera as they do off camera. And that stuff really does matter. And how we are managing ourselves So if we can't lead ourselves, if I set my alarm for 4 a.m. and I can't get up, how am I going to make someone else change their behavior? How am I going to convince somebody else to do something? So if I'm lacking something and I can't lead myself, that's got to be the first step because that's what's going to stop us from leading other people.
0: Mm. And are are there ways that we can improve our own behaviors around the discipline? that we need to lead others. Yeah.
1: And I'll give you my definition of discipline. This is from a behavior profiler's standpoint. Discipline is simply when your present tense self prioritizes the needs of your future self over their Mm. own. I view my future self as more important than me. So what I eat, what I do, everything makes a huge difference. If if I'm going to bed at night, I'm going to Put the cup under the coffee maker. I'm going to put the little pod in there and get it ready to go for the morning. And I'm thinking in my head, Chase is going to love this. I'm real, I honestly do have these thoughts. And I, you try to get into a point where you're always thinking about your future self. Because if you ever think about a time where you were pissed off at your past tense self, there was a lack of discipline. We've stayed up. We know we had an exam the next day. We stayed up all night drinking or did something stupid the night before, and we regret it. And that's us being upset with our, our past tense self because we didn't prioritize our needs because now the future self is us. We're living in that body. So it's, it, it has to do with just so many facets of your life, how you interact with your family and friends, your finances, whether or not you make your bed. So your, your future self at nighttime comes home to a made bed. You're not making it for yourself. You're making it for future you. So all of those priorities, and it draws out to a bigger time span too. Like, am I saving for retirement? I'm concerned about my future self. And I think that we're feeling a sense of gratitude towards our past tense self. And we're feeling a sense of duty or encouragement or a concern towards our future self.
0: mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really a nice way to frame it. And I've heard a few other people talk like that, but it's, it's probably something that I need to think a little bit more about myself as well is that in regards to, I do do a lot of this planning, but sometimes things, my present self tries to override doing those good things okay. for my future self. But perhaps if I frame it that way, then I am more likely to kind of maintain that discipline. And one, one question that I had for you while you were talking about that is what happens if your significant other makes your bed? Does that still count? You betcha. Yeah. Good, 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 okay. good. It's cause I get up first. That's why
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah, she gets, she gets I'll up second. So she, yeah. Oh, that's, that's nice. Chase. I mean, we, we're, we're talking a lot about ourselves here, one of the other th- points that I was kind of interested in at the moment as well is obviously we're going through a pretty interesting time in the world currently with, with COVID-19. And there's, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of uncertainty around that as well. And in New Zealand here, and I'm sure with a lot of people that you work with as well, there's people like to appear reasonably stoic in terms of, hey, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm good with this. Right. But I think there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of underlying fear. There's a lot of underlying uncertainty and underlying overwhelm that as a leader, people are going to be telling us they're okay. They're okay to keep going. They're okay to do these things. But actually, they're potentially not. Are there some ways that we can, as leaders can try and identify that in, in our teams and in our followers, even if they're telling us that they're okay, that they've got this, but we have a maybe have a feeling of unease that they need some more support.
1: Yeah. So if if you have people that are working for you, you know them, you, you speak to them on a regular basis. Try to look for a deviation in their normal behavior, and it sounds simple, and it but it's not something that's automatic. Just having the thought there will make you see things. I. I'm willing to bet that you probably didn't see before. And those small deviations in behavior, this person used to put exclamation points in all of their emails and now they're somber. Something as small as that can can let us know that there's a difference. We can't do some full FBI behavioral profiling thing on them, but we're looking for change. We're looking for six months ago they used to do this and now there's a little bit of a change. Maybe this person needs a little bit of reassurance. Because if, if there's one thing that fear does to every human being is it makes us estimate the likelihood of the negative things we think about is actually gonna happen. So it makes us think those are more likely to occur. So the moment fear happens, all the negative stuff we've thought about for our whole life seems way more possible. So fear increases our estimation of the likelihood of negative events. And that that should tell us volumes there because that's what those people are worried about. And they could use a little reassurance, of course, but just letting them know that what their future is going to hold. And according to me, my my opinion, the number one cause of depression or anxiety is typically unmet expectations. And as a leader, we can set those, even if like, I want my kid to come pick up the trash right now. And that, that disrupts his Xbox game or, you know, whatever the heck he's doing. But if I say, well, in five minutes, we need to take out the trash and then it's okay. I've set an expectation. And then that five minutes later, when I tell him to do it, there's an expectation up. So even if something tiny like that, but on the long frame, it's it's still the same. I'm setting the expectations for people that work for me so they know what to expect. There's communication early and often about all the stuff that's going on.
0: Mm. And I mean, ourselves as leaders, we might be feeling under stress and under pressure during this time period as well because of that uncertainty. Is there a way that we can try and portray a sense of calm and a sense of control to our teams and to the people who follow us even though we may not be feeling the most in control at the moment
1: yeah so there's a a thing that i love to talk about it's it's called a composure pendulum so if we you know we mentioned composure earlier when we talked about leadership if we have composure in the middle of a pendulum if it swings one way we have collapse and we swings the other way we have posturing where somebody might posture up against it and pretend like they're not scared or collapse and say the world's going to end is, is trying to rate ourselves. We don't need to be judgmental, but just bringing our awareness at the end of each day. How, how was I today? Did I maintain my composure throughout the day? And when you're talking to people, if there's one thing that fear does to a person's behaviors. The number one thing that fear does to us is makes us move faster. Our eyelids blink faster. This is called shutter speed in in behavior. Our heads move quicker, our hands move faster when we talk. So if you'd like to communicate calmness and and a lack of fear to your employees, just try and exercise for a couple of times to not move faster than you could if you were underwater. If you're standing in a swimming pool, what's the max speed I could move and make that your new max speed. Just try that a few times.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a cool way to do it actually. And, and I, I'm probably lucky that I just generally talk slow anyway, but you could probably listen to me on double speed and it would be fine. So have that kind that's of. Great.
1: You've got the perfect cadence though. I think it's great.
0: Oh, thank you, thank you. I just set you up for that one, that nice compliment there, didn't I, Chase? This is this is a conversation. It's all about how do we improve our leadership ability in the face of crisis and adversity. But I wanted to ask you: Has there been a time that you haven't wed- led well that you think maybe I, I could have done better there, or I've I've done badly? And if so, are you happy to share that?
1: Yeah, you betcha. I was running sneaky operations in the middle east and i got ahead of myself and i was so excited for a mission that we were about to go on that i skipped a few steps in our planning process and our planning process is immense for a two-hour mission everybody sits down for four or five days we're memorizing radio frequencies and passwords and all kinds of stuff, the edible plants in the area, every escape, every route, every potential thing that could happen and skipped a few steps and we got out on mission and it didn't go exactly as planned. Some bad stuff happened and I completely lost all control. I lost my composure and it really reminded me that I had spent probably a year and a half to two years not ever, tracking myself I thought you know I've got that handled now I I don't need mm-hmm. to look at it anymore I I need to stop examining that and that brought me back to earth to say that that this is not something like you grow into it and it's a brand new part of who you are it's something we've got to we've got to keep an eye on it and that was I mean I could have got people killed luckily we didn't mm.
0: yeah and I think that's a uh... Thank you for sharing that, but that's a really important point as well is that it's, it's kind of that consistent training that we need to do on this stuff. It's like, it's like physical training that if you go to the gym and you lift weights, then you start to get stronger. But if you stop, then you lose those gains that you've made as well. So there's no one exercise that you can do that keeps you strong forever. And I guess the the same thing here is there's no one thing that you can do that keeps you having that self-awareness forever either.
1: Very true. I mean, I think there's some people that are born with it, but Mm. they're few, few and far between.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Chase, what do you think has influenced your thinking about leadership the most in the last couple of years?
1: a study by a guy named Dr. Stanley Milgram. And this was conducted at Yale university. And long story short, he's studying obedience to authority and what makes people become obedient. And they start this thing. It's basically, I tell you to shock somebody else in the next room to death Mm. and we're out of university. So they start this thing and all these, a, a panel of psychiatrists estimated that less than 0.01% of people will go through with this. Cause if they go through, they're going to be psychopaths or nasty people And 64% of people did it. And a hundred percent of people got up to enough voltage to kill somebody. Whoa. So we studied, if I asked you, like, could you talk someone into killing a stranger in less than an hour? I guess that would be true leadership. I mean, if, if you could get a result like that, that would be the ultimate outcome to where like, I'm not doing that, but I'm, I have that much influence over another human being. So I made it a study for most of my life to study what happens to trigger obedience. What exact behaviors trigger that switch that says, okay, I'll, I'll just listen to this person. And that became a huge part of my life to figure that out and to identify all those triggers and how it works because we don't need a guy standing in a lab coat. We don't need to be in a university because that stuff happens all over the place. That's how the Nazis were able to kill those, the Jews. When they were on the Nuremberg War mm. Trials, all, their answer to everything is I was just following orders. So we tried to prove, is that possible? And what makes us think that somebody's in authority?
0: Yeah. Fascinating. We might need to come back and have another conversation about ethical leadership as well with that. (laughs) But yeah, that's, it's fascinating kind of the, the the thinking behind that. And I'm sure that you have a lot of stuff about the reasons behind this. And if if people are interested in the work that you do and, and learning more about this stuff, what's, what's a good way that they can start to find out some more.
1: Sure. Just go to my website. It's just my name, chasehughes.com. And we've got tons of online training and there's in-person training and you can find out a whole lot more and you can find out all those triggers.
0: Mm. Chase, what should leaders be doing right now?
1: In terms of their own life?
0: In terms of their own life and leadership.
1: I would say do a self-assessment and figure out what's been holding you back. There's so much corporate training that says you need to find your strengths. There's even a book out there that says how to identify your strengths in the office. If we focus on leveling up our strengths and apply that same system to your car, I drive a Ford Explorer. If I have four flat tires and you go, no, 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 don't look at those. Your engine is great. Just change that oil and shine that engine up a little bit because it's a nice engine in that car. And you got a great interior, just vacuum it out, clean it, and everything's going to be great. It's still a piece of crap. Like It's it's not going to drive. And some people might say, well, you're applying this to cars. It doesn't apply to humans. Think about your kids. If your kids are in elementary school or middle school and they're failing a grade, you say, oh, don't worry about that stuff. You just need to do what you're good at. You're good at art and science. Just focus on those two subjects. We don't apply that to our kids either. It's, it's insane. We need, to, we need to bring up wherever we're failing and wherever we're, we're falling behind because that's typically the reason for most of our failures. It's not because our strengths aren't high enough. It's because other parts are too low.
0: Mm. Chase Hughes, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Chris. Good to be on, man. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with us today. I always love these conversations. If you want to hear a guest, if you want to have a topic explored, if you want to ask a question, please send an email to chris at healthmentors.nz and we can get onto that for you. If you want to support the show, the best way that you can do that is subscribe on your favorite podcast app and make sure to share it out with some of your mates as well. Thank you to Health Mentors, the sponsor of the show today. If you want to improve your health and your performance in the middle of a chaotic world, make sure to check out healthmentors.nz or send an email to chris at healthmentors.nz for a no obligation chat. Thank you so much to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music to the show. And thank you to you guys for tuning in and listening all the way to the end. We'll see you all again next week.